this was probably once in a career type of thing. It was just a lot of things that didn't add up. Still don't add up. And the biggest thing is to clear your conscience if you know something. You know, why take this to the grave with you? August 12th, 2012. Barack Obama was just months away from winning his second term as president of the United States. Carly Rae Jepsen was dominating the charts with her first hit, Call Me Maybe. The Born Legacy debuted at number one, grossing $38 million in its opening weekend. And on August 30th, the Social Security Administration tapped the Portage County Sheriff's Office for a welfare check. Little did they know the request would trigger an investigation that would expose a messy and deceitful family tree, leaving authorities questioning what really happened on a rural property so many years ago. I'm Cassandra Cepeda, and this is Forgotten, Marie and Theodore Jost, Family Affair. Normally, when I focus on a case for this podcast, it has one victim. But today's episode is about two missing people. And buckle up, because it's going to get messy. I mean that, literally. Where police focused their search was comparable, quite frankly, to a dump. We got out there, everything was locked up. We had to cut locks off the doors, off the sheds to see if anything was in there. And then that's when we saw that, for lack of better terms, it was like a hoarder property. The property was about three acres in size in Amherst Junction, about 15 miles east of Stevens Point. It's where several members of the Jost family once called home, including Marie Jost. On August 30th, 2012, when the Social Security Administration went looking for Marie, who would have been 100 years old at the time, portions of the property were covered in trash. According to the Porch County Sheriff's Office, when a person gets to a certain age like Marie, the SSA conducts a follow-up. It's protocol and an attempt to prevent or stop fraud. It normally gets resolved by sending some letters in the mail and filling it out, and then they mail it back, and then they're like, this person's still alive, and we don't have anything to worry about. They tried three times, got no response. So naturally, that raised some red flags. You see, someone was cashing Marie's social security checks, but the feds wanted proof that the money was going to her. So eventually an agent was sent out to 3658 Elm Road. When they got there, they met Charles, Marie's youngest son, who let's say was less than friendly, which is why social security called the Portage County Sheriff's Office. Today, the property is mainly covered by trees and is owned by two different people. But back then, tucked yards away from the road was something, well, I'll let Lieutenant Wayne Kropodlowski explain. Well, first off, the most noticeable thing uh, was the odor. It was horrific. The lieutenant let me see pictures taken during the investigation. If you want to see them for yourself, we have a bunch on our website at WSAW.com. In the photos, you can see several different sheds, lots of trash, and vehicles, including a bus. One of the structures was technically where Charles slept. And I say structure because there wasn't any running water or electricity. There was a lot of tar paper on the property and a lot of loose jugs of oil and other substances that we didn't know what they were. Um, so the order was horrific. That was the first overpowering thing. And then just the clutter. I mean, it is the, it was the stereotypical hoarder. Um, they kept everything. At some points, police were wading through waist-high garbage. Now, I'm not describing the property to shame or embarrass Charles. 
My intention is to paint a picture for you so you understand just how big of a challenge the authorities had. Lieutenant Kropodlowski says it ended up being the most expensive investigation in Portage County's history because of the cleanup and all of the people needed to get the job done. But before all that, it was very early on when police realized they weren't just searching for Marie, someone else was missing too. After questioning neighbors and family, the police learned not only was Marie missing, no one had seen her son Theodore in decades. Marie had five children, three girls and two boys. Her oldest daughter was Marie, then Theodore, Patricia, Dolores, and Charles. There isn't much known about Theodore. The last time anyone saw him was back in the 1980s when he was about 42 years old. He is also an army veteran, but that's about it. When police sat down with Charles and his sister Dolores, they had similar stories. So even the theory, what we were told was, is that Marie, and Teddy were on a cross-country road trip in a motorhome for 30 years. Obviously, there are a lot of problems with this, including the fact that neither Marie nor Teddy had a driver's license. In 1980, Marie's daughter Patricia died from cancer. After several interviews with police, Dolores said the last time she had seen her mother was at Patricia's funeral. And according to the Charlie Project, Dolores had admitted she hadn't seen her brother Theodore in over 10 years. The funeral is also the last time other relatives were able to confirm to detectives that they too had seen the elderly woman alive. On that same vein, police interviewed an employee at a bank in Amherst who said she saw Marie between 1988 and 1990. This would be the last sighting of Marie, if it was accurate. The teller says she knew Marie from working with her back in the 70s at a restaurant in the area, but hadn't consistently seen her in the years since. One thing that is consistent, Dolores and Charles used to go to that bank to cash Marie's checks together. So, is it possible the employee thought she was seeing Marie when really it was her daughter? Now, I don't know how close the resemblance was. Uh, this other lady too also hadn't seen her in some time, so it's possible that the lady was mistaken and actually saw Marie's daughter. I don't know. So that's why if you look up this case, their missing date is listed as 1980, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's when they disappeared. As the investigation continued, detectives found what I consider to be truly heartbreaking. In the mountains of trash, investigators discovered mail addressed to Marie. Things like recently sent Christmas cards, letters, money, even a card for her 100th birthday. A couple of them got responses back, thanking, you know, thank you for sending the photographs, it was so nice of you, thank you for the money, those sort of things. Here's the problem, Marie couldn't write. In the late 1970s, she had a stroke, and as a result, she usually just wrote an X in lieu of her actual signature on everything, including her social security checks. That would make it very unlikely that she was writing back, and her family, who took the time to send letters from the kindness of their hearts, were lied to for years. In the first week of searching, investigators also made a grim discovery. Just off the side of the main living structure was a white cross on the ground marking what looked like a burial site. Immediately, crime scene techs were brought in and the excavator started digging. To their disappointment, 
The search revealed nothing. More time passed and teams of cadaver dogs found bones of all different sizes, even a skeleton of a cat wrapped and buried. But no evidence of a deceased human was ever found. We're no different than anybody else. We want to get, get an answer. And it's like, it's a dead end. We got to keep going. And they did. Their investigation eventually pointed them to one man. Our best person of interest was Ron Disher, the brother-in-law, or in this case, Marie's son-in-law. Um, and that was based off of conversations he had while he was incarcerated in jail and some inmates came forward. Um, unfortunately, there was some credibility issues with the inmates. In September of 2012, just a few months later, Charles, Dolores, and Ronald, Dolores's husband, were all charged with theft and mail fraud. The three were accused of taking $175,000 of Marie's social security benefits. According to my research, Charles has a very low IQ. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel cited Charles himself saying he only had a first grade education level, which is why the lieutenant feels that it was likely Dolores and Ronald who were the masterminds of the alleged scheme. If you ever met Charles, your initial impression would be you wouldn't think that he would be smart enough to be part of a fraud, but certainly smart enough to do what he's told. Um, so I really don't, I mean, was he part of it? Yes, he was never charged, but I don't know, I don't know how much he really knew. Charles was found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. Dolores had her charges dismissed because of medical problems and the judge declared a mistrial on the fraud charges for Ronald. In the years since, both Dolores and Ronald have died. Now, while we conduct interviews about cases we research, it's not unusual for authorities to shy away from questions, usually to protect the integrity of the case. But Lieutenant Kropodlowski was very forthcoming, even telling me what he thinks really happened. You know, it's really hard to say. Um, I guess my best guess would be is that she probably died of natural causes and either got buried somewhere or unfortunately the brother-in-law did work for the almond dump and there's been more than one body disposed of in dumps over the years so it's certainly possible that that's how they got rid of her so that they could keep collecting the social security money. Of course I asked if the dump had ever been searched but the answer is no. Apparently the almond dump was more of a transfer station where people left their trash and another company would come take it from there. Combine that with the years that passed, and it makes it virtually impossible to find any remains. I, I think you'd have better odds winning the mega millions tonight than finding, finding it if it wasn't a dump. I know Marie is likely dead. I mean, at 111 years old, it would be a freaking miracle if she were still alive today. But there is still hope for Teddy. The lieutenant says there's a small chance Teddy maybe left Wisconsin. He says there are indications that Teddy and Charles possibly went out to California at some point in the 1990s. Now, I can't say definitively, but I would think if they were able to get solid proof verifying that story, Teddy's last seen date would have been updated. But it's not. And the truth is, authorities are kind of stumped. We don't know what happened. I mean, maybe he assumed a different identity. It's possible. I mean, it's not uncommon for people that 
dislike their families to disown them, move on, and never want to be found again or have no contact with them. It's not against the law to disappear, but in this case, it is unlikely. Today, Teddy would be 85 years old, and there has been zero indication he's tried to use any sort of Social Security, Medicare, or veteran benefits. And that's where things kind of stand today. Hundreds of man hours to search a property, dozens of boxes filled with files, interviews, and a not-so-credible jailhouse confession, and authorities still aren't any closer to solving this case. Hypothetically, let's just say they were last seen in 1980. We got it in 2012. It was 32 years. The longer stuff goes on, the harder it is to put it together. Um, and, and that's the problem with a lot of cold cases. You know, every now and then you get lucky. But maybe police don't need to rely on luck. Maybe the answers to what really happened to Teddy and Marie remain with Charles. And maybe he'll find it in his heart to tell police what he knows. Um, and maybe things have changed. Maybe you coming in today, maybe it's worth tracking him down if he's still alive. Um, I haven't seen him. Uh, he typically walks or rides a bike around Stevens Point. Um, I haven't personally seen him in two, three, four months. So um, I haven't had an opportunity to check to see if he's, if he's still around, but it might be worthwhile to do a little follow-up. This kind of sparked it, um, just to see if he's willing to talk to us. Maybe he's had a change of heart. I'm no detective, and I'm not trying to solve this case on my own. But if this podcast can inspire a former detective to open his files one more time, then I'll take that as a win. My career has changed quite a bit in 11 years, and I have moved on. And, but now, like I said, after you reached out to me, it's kind of sparked some interest. Even today, as I sat down to go through photographs and uh, reports, it's definitely sparked an interest. So maybe the next time I see Charlie walking down the street, I might just pull down the block and see, what he'll, see if he's willing to talk to me or not. And I hope he does. Because Teddy and Marie, you deserve justice. You have not been forgotten. If you know anything about the disappearance of Teddy and Marie Jost, please call the Portage County Sheriff's Office at 715-346-1400.